Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part three of our latest uh, look at the kidneys. And I left off last time mentioning about looking at the renal veins, so why don't we pick it up right there. And we all know there's lots of variations in terms of renal venous anatomy. Multiple renal veins are very common in about 28% of patients. Retroiotic renal veins occur in about 3% of patients. Circumaortic veins in about 17% of patients. And a lumbar vein joining the left renal vein is up to about 75% of patients. Uh, about 92% of patients have a single renal vein. Uh, in terms of renal vein length, one of the reasons we like doing uh, laparoscopic nephrectomies with the left kidney is because the left renal vein is indeed about three times longer than the right, so it gives the surgeon a lot more flexibility. Duplicate uh, renal veins are more common on the right, and the most common left renal venous variation is a circumaortic left renal vein. And circumaortic left renal veins are kind of interesting. We'll look at a few of those in a moment. At times, they're at the same level, the anterior and posterior component, but many times the inferior, the posterior component is very much inferior, up to 5 to 8 centimeters at times. So it's something that we indeed can look at. In terms of renal venous anatomy, here's just a very nice example. This was a case showing you the uh, difference between the right and left renal veins in terms of length. Again, in terms of their being at the same level, they're often pretty close. The right is often a bit lower than the left, and very nicely shown in that example. When we're looking at renal veins, the uh, venous phase obviously is ideal, and also what's ideal is being able to look at things with volume rendering, as you can see very nicely in this case. We also see the renal venous branching. We also can routinely see the adrenal veins coming off the patient's renal vein. And here's another example using volume rendering showing you a normal left renal vein bifurcating near the left renal hilum, cutting across anteriorly in front of the aorta. We see renal venous issues in a number of things. It's not just things that are really primarily related to the kidneys. Here's a patient of cirrhosis, portal hypertension, varices. Look how large that mid-left renal vein is. That's a classic example of splenorenal shunting. You can see the left renal vein coming across in a coronal display. Again, a coronal display, large drainage into the left renal vein. And here it is again. It's somewhat interesting. I've seen one case recently of a uh, shunting into the right renal vein, but the shunting is almost always splenorenal into the left renal vein. Retroaortic renal veins, again, are simple, easy to recognize. At times, a non-contrast CT, I've seen the retroaortic renal vein be confused with a node near the hilum of the uh, kidney. And you can see here's a good example of a circumaortic renal vein. And this also shows you very nicely that the uh, anterior component is a very classic location. But look at the retroaortic component. It comes from the lower pole of the kidney and cuts behind the left common iliac artery. So you can see the very large spread. Now, circumaortic renal veins can be problematic, particularly when they're spread apart or they're complicated like this example can be very difficult to use this kidney for being a laparoscopic donor type patient because it's very hard to get control of renal veins. And there are a lot of unusual variations in renal venous anatomy, and of course, that's why CT is so nicely done in these patients. You can see gonadal veins routinely off the left renal vein, of course, more common in females. Uh, there is difference in size, but again, most of the time, it's of little clinical importance. When you see both renal veins enlarged, like this case, 
and you see prominent vessels in the pelvis, then you have to worry about pelvic congestion syndrome, something that you indeed need to think about. It can be a cause of pelvic pain. There have been several articles addressing this. Here was um, just one more example of the prior case. Just to make the point also, you see the prominent adnexal veins. At times on non-contrast CT or with poor injections, those prominent veins can be confused with nodes or parametrial spread of tumor. So something indeed you want to look at. In terms of the ovarian veins, a couple of comments. Here was one article, incompetent and dilated ovarian veins are frequently seen on CT in asymptomatic uh, women. As an isolated finding, it's unlikely to be associated with pelvic congestion syndrome. So again, it may not be of great clinical importance. Uh, on the other hand, other articles have shown different information. Here was an article that showed about 9.9% prevalence of ovaricies in the general population. Our findings suggest that half of the patients with ovarian varices have pelvic congestion syndrome and that most of these will benefit from ovarian vein ligation or embolization. And we've seen a couple of articles being published that in patients who've been renal donors, they go back and ask the patients and say, well, do you feel any difference since you've donated the kidney? And of course, they've ligated that patient's gonadal vein. And many of them have said, yes, I feel better. I don't have the same pelvic pain. So again, that's kind of something that you can look at in retrospect, but it's something at least to consider. In terms of renal veins, one of the other things we commonly will look at in CT is renal vein thrombosis. Here's a laundry list of things that do cause renal vein thrombosis. Here are many of the risk factors. Most common thing we typically will see will be in malignancy. We look for renal vein involvement in patients with renal cell carcinoma, for example. We will pick up other cases, hypercoagulability states. The initial presentation may indeed be renal vein thrombosis. I've seen it in postpartum patients, nephrotic syndrome. These are indeed all real possibilities. Now, in terms of findings, what do you see with acute renal vein thrombosis? Well, there are a number of things. You can see a thrombus-filled dilated renal vein. You can see thrombus in the IVC by extension. That's very common within tumors. The kidney is typically enlarged. You may see thickening of gerotis fascia. Depending how acute the thrombus is, you may see capsular uh, collaterals, so-called cobwebs around the kidney. And those cobwebs are probably most common in patients who have chronic renal vein thrombosis. And you will see abnormal enhancement of the kidney. And uh, the abnormal enhancement can be variable. It can be prolonged cortical medullary uh, differentiation. It could be delayed or persistent parenchymal enhancement. It could be delayed or no visualization of the pelvic calcial system. So there are many things uh, and many different appearances with renal vein thrombosis. Of course, the most common thing is seeing a thrombus. Now, the thrombus can be global, can occlude the entire vessel, or it could thrombose part of the vessel. So again, there is definitely a variation. Now, in terms of acute thrombosis, uh, comments I've made before is if you want to see it in 3D, you better use volume rendering. If you use MIP, you're just not going to see the thrombus. So volume rendering is really where you need to be. So let's look at one specific example with renal vein thrombosis, and that'll be renal cell carcinomas. CT is indeed very good for detecting RVT in this situation. It's also good for determining extent, whether or not it goes into the IVC, and if it goes into the IVC, whether or not it goes into the atrium. Here are some numbers that have been published, but you can see these references are indeed pretty old. It's my experience, particularly at 64 slice, particularly when you go beyond the axial plane, 
that our accuracy for renal vein thrombosis and IVC extension probably reaches 100%. And here's just a couple of nice schematics giving you a feel of uh, the type of variations in involvement you can see. So then let's look at some examples. Here's a nice case, large left renal mass. You can see thrombus in the renal vein, which then extends up into the IVC. Now, one thing to remember in a case like this is, is not always malignant thrombus. Typically malignant thrombus, like the tumor, is very vascular. And you can see proximally in the left renal vein, there is vascular tumor extending into the vein. Uh, and this thrombus, in fact, indeed was tumor. Very nice visualization. About 70 seconds out post-injection is really ideal for seeing it. And again, you can see it here as well very nicely when you look at the negative uh, plane. And again, one more example, excretory phase. There's the mass. Compare the renal vein early and late. You can see the thrombus on excretory phase or four minutes out, but that venous phase at 70 to 90 seconds really is ideal. Now, it's often not that extensive. Here's an example, infiltration of the right kidney, and you can see very nicely this tumor extension from the renal vein into the IVC. Now, that's more of a local involvement, but look at this next patient. Here we see involvement, vascular renal cell right kidney into the right renal vein, into the IVC, into the right atrium. And that, of course, is critical when that patient is operated on. They're going to need to have a, a thoracic surgeon in place. They're going to need to do cardiothoracic bypass for this patient. So again, you can see very nicely the full extent of the tumor in this example. Now, I mentioned there is chronic renal vein thrombosis as well. At times, that can simulate a tumor in the ureter, this thickening of the ureter, this cobwebs around the ureter. can look like a transitional cell carcinoma. Very nice example in this case here. We can see cobwebs surrounding the patient's ureter, cobwebs surrounding uh, the region of the hilum. So again, it can be a confusing picture. Things you should recognize that kidney is typically larger. There's delayed cortical medullary differentiation or persistence of that differentiation. So again, something very nice to look at. And just to remind you, chronic renal vein thrombosis, nephrotic syndrome is common, uh, proteinuria is common, GFR, but it's somewhat variable. You often see patients will have PEs. They may present with hematuria or sterile pyuria, for example. And again, something to remember, and in terms of imaging findings, with chronic renal vein thrombosis, you can see the renal vein contracting. The big thing is those collaterals, those perirenal cobwebs. And I'll show you another example. Look at those impressive collaterals. And again, do not confuse this with a primary process of the ureter. You do get the collaterals and the varices extending along the ureter. So again, something to really look at very nicely. Okay, what else? So we've talked about, or we've spoken about the arteries, we've spoken about the veins. What about the pelvis and collecting system? And for that, we typically think about CTRography. And CTRography is really a term, in some ways it's kind of a funny term, but it's really basically taking CT and creating IVPs out of CT. And there's been a lot written about CTRography. Uh, if you look at the literature, many different protocols, injecting saline, injecting Lasix, doing supine images, doing prone images, having the patients come back in 30 minutes, doing all sorts of things. Now, I will admit that as we have more experience, this article was 2002, 
In the six years since this article, we've had a lot more experience, and so the protocols have become much easier. And in fact, we have a fairly simple protocol for our cases. And why don't we do this? Why don't we just stop at this point and then we'll pick things up and we'll do part four of this talk, which will be on CTRography. And with that, have a good day.